When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Husker fans. Welcome to episode 194 of the Husker Football Fan Podcast. I'm Mike Harvat. And I'm Justin Swanson. In today's episode, Justin talks to Mark Morehouse, sports writer at the Cedar Rapids Gazette, about Nebraska's not Black Friday matchup with Iowa. You can find us on the web at huskerpod.com or by searching Husker Football Fan Podcast on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter by following at huskerpod or email us at huskerpod at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Central Nebraska Buffalo. Check out their website for the latest deals. That's cnbuffalo.com. Also brought to you by Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Looking to buy or sell a home in Lincoln or know someone who does? Hit up Monty at 402-770-3356. Well, Mike, another week, another team. Iowa week. Yeah, it seems a little bit earlier this year for some reason. Yeah, I mean, it's... uh... It's the 10th game instead of the 12th the game. The reason so is John Eichhorst. That's <laughs> the reason. <laughs> One of his final acts before getting the axe. Mm. Oh, wordplay there. Nice. Axe, axe. Yeah. I like it. Um, yeah, so kind of a ridiculous thing, and maybe it's because of Sean Eichhorst messing with the way things should be that coronavirus came. And, oh, whoa. I didn't expect now, you to go there. <laughs> and now the schedule is all wacky. I was about to say, like, if there were a year where it's okay that things are shaken up a little bit in our schedule, why not have it be a year where, you know, our schedule has already been upended by the powers that used to be? <laughs> right. That, no, that's true. It'll be a real bummer, though, if um, Nebraskans can't go in droves to Iowa City because I think I, I mentioned this during the conversation with Mark, but and we've talked about it before with it not being on the, th- the holiday weekend. This was like my opportunity to go. Oh um, just yeah. With, with how we travel um, for the, for the holidays. And I'm sure a lot of Nebraskans are in a similar boat. Like just Thanksgiving weekend is never going to be a good weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was the opportunity. Foiled again. Foiled again. <laughs> if it wasn't for you and you meddling athletic directors. <laughs> Well, well, anyway, let's uh, let's go ahead and roll this uh, yeah. interview. Sorry for I'll, like totally like digging up the past during this intro. I mean, let's look ahead to this season, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, roll that tape. We are really excited to have Mark Morehouse, sports writer for the Cedar Rapids Gazette, back on the show. Mark, welcome. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me on pleasure is ours let's start here by looking back to 2019 um i confess looking at this the results just now i forgot how good of a season iowa had uh 10 and 3 you'll lose three close games by a combined total of 14 points and just smoke usc um in the holiday bowl uh i imagine hawkeye fans feeling pretty good about their team last season yeah i think so um I think any Iowa nine-win team, you're not going to hear a lot of complaints from Iowa fans after nine wins. It doesn't happen very often. Um, 
but the, I think the expectations maybe are, sh- are starting to shift a little bit for Iowa. I don't, you know, seven wins in a season is probably unacceptable at this point. I mean, you know, you got to take it sometimes, but uh, I think Iowa fan, I think that, and I think the program has kind of reached a nine win plateau where maybe that should probably be the expectation, but uh, still doesn't happen very often. And uh, last fall was a lot of fun for Hawkeye fans. I think, um, I think they're tired of getting, of losing to Wisconsin. I think a lot of the big 10 West is tired of losing to Wisconsin. Yep. Um, so I think still room to be gained there. Um, as far as the Hawkeyes picture goes, I think maybe the biggest win last year, not USC, but the win over Minnesota at Kinnick. Minnesota had played a big game the last week. I think they lost to Penn State. No, they beat Penn State at home. And so Iowa, they came in Iowa City kind of, you know, uh, I think it was 10 or 11 and 0. 10 and 0, I'm sorry. And they, they had a lot of expectations. They had a lot of momentum in Iowa. You know, kind of stole that. So, probably the biggest win last year is Minnesota. Iowa fans might not want to hear that. So maybe USC is the biggest win. I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, I think last year fun year for Hawkeye fans. I think 2018 there was maybe more of a sting of what could have been. I think that 2018 was a team that probably could have, probably should have won two more games. Um, looking at Purdue, and I'm blanking on any other one right now. But uh, that team probably should have been an 11 win season. I think last year's team, given the schedule. Uh, achieved about what people thought, where, where I thought people thought I would might end up. Yeah, and those those three losses to the kind of the usual suspects, I guess you might say, the two point loss to Wisconsin, twenty four twenty two, seventeen to twelve loss to Penn State, and then ten to three loss at Michigan. Uh, so losing when scoring three and twelve points, I mean, how does that sit with Hawkeye fans? They hate it. As you can imagine. I mean, I don't know who... I mean, it's a dumb question. Everybody would hate it, but... <laughs> um, it is confounding, though. I mean, Justin, it's it's a fair question that, you know, you look at Iowa in 20, 2017 with you know, Brian Ferentz's first year as offensive coordinator. I think that was his first year. Anyway, um, yeah, that was his first year. The week, uh, they, they beat Ohio State, and they look like the Colts was Peyton Manning. Mm. Uh, they win 55-24 of Ohio State. The next week, they have 66 yards total offense at Wisconsin. So there is a bit of, uh, wow, things look great, and all of a sudden, boy, where'd the offense go? Part of that is the Big Ten. Part of that is game plan. Part of that maybe is Iowa talent level. I don't know, but... Uh, um, I can see that driving people crazy. It drives me crazy watching the team, you know, observing the team. I'm sure. Uh, how one week it's, you know, everything, and the next week it's nothing. They're, I think they're kind of getting white. You didn't see that as much last year, but you did see three three uh, uh, three points at Michigan, which boiled down, I think, 10 sacks in that game, so that boiled down to pass protection, and it was ugly. Penn State, you could, you could also make an argument about pass protection and uh, the losing of the game that way. Wisconsin was just, you know, the typical Wisconsin-Iowa thing. And, um, you know, Wisconsin rushed for the most yards against Iowa since 2000 when it had uh, Ron Dane doing it. So uh, some familiar, there's some familiarity in the, in the pattern of the losses, especially with Wisconsin and maybe some of the other teams where the offense fails. And, uh, I imagine, you know, I, I know, I know for Iowa fans, I can speak, I get all the track tweets and, you know, on the podcast. They hate it, but... Uh, uh, you know, it's just kind of 
rolling with the punches. I mean, some weeks I don't get it either, and I, I don't accept it. <laughs> but some weeks the offense is just not there. I, I've not figured out why. I think it mainly huh. when Iowa starts to have to play a more of a passing game. Kirk Ferentz would call it left playing left handed. I think Iowa generally maybe ninety five percent of the time is in deep trouble when I, when I, when the run gets stopped, and that's probably ninety percent of the Michigan State Iowa games. And and this is with a senior quarterback. I mean. Yeah, and two good wide receivers. Yeah, uh, they they were able to. I think in twenty nineteen, oh, twenty eighteen and nineteen, they were able to to uh, uh, depend on the passing game, probably more so than the running game. Uh, last year, the running game had you know one hundred yard rush rushing. I want to say one, maybe two, one hundred yard rushing efforts out of the running backs. That's crazy, just inconsistent, and. You know, you had Nate Stanley go to the Vikings uh, in, in the sixth or seventh round. I can't remember for sure. Signed his contract yesterday, okay. and Iowa likely is going to have two uh, NFL wide receivers whenever whenever things start to get to be normal again. Um, Amir Smith Marset and Brandon Smith are two wide receivers that probably you know Iowa. I don't know how well you know Iowa football, but Tim Dwight is the last Hawkeye to catch a pass in the NFL. Um, Tim graduated in nineteen. Oh no. Uh, Oh, it was in the '90s. He oh, graduated. Wow. He graduated the '90s, so he had a long, pretty long NFL career. Uh, but I think 2006 is the last time Iowa had a wide receiver catch a pass in the NFL. I expect that to end with this, with these two. So yeah, the passing offense. It should be, you know, a, I think part of looking at Iowa 2020 is, oh, oh, they got a new quarterback. There's not going to be any controversy. Uh, Spencer Petras is the guy. The other guys are too young to really compete. They they are getting a. Kid named Deuce Hogan from Texas, who might be a bit of a wild card. I think he was a four-star kid, um, but really, Spencer Petrus is probably the guy. And I think the passing game will be uh, at least on paper, starting out the season, might be as strong as, if not stronger than, the running game. Hmm. Well, it does look like the offense figured things out um, by the time of the bowl game, with you know forty-nine points, um, which was the most for the season, even more than Iowa scored against Middle Tennessee. So. Um, I don't know if that was just if that just speaks to how bad USC was, or uh, if things just finally gelled there for the final game. But they had a defensive and, and a special teams touchdown in that game too. Oh, okay. But they but they went on long drives. I mean, Iowa's offense was very different against USC. There were a lot more reverses. The wide receivers. I mean, Amir Smith Marset scored uh, receiving, rushing, and the special teams kick return touchdown. And he almost threw one to Brandon Smith. I mean, he just missed that by inches. So. Um, I think Brian Ferentz, offensive coordinator, kind of maybe dumped the bucket against against USC and USC the athletics. I think if anything, Iowa showed in the, in the Holiday Bowl the speed that that Amir Smith Marset showed, uh, and then maybe Tyrone Tracy and uh, Tyler Goodson. Uh, the speed gap between Iowa and and, and the general speed gap between Iowa and USC, something that everybody writes about before these games. I really tried not to last year, but the, that gap seems to be closing, at least if you go by this. And maybe USC didn't show up and they did fire their coordinator, their defensive coordinator, like th- a week later. So maybe it's hard to see what Iowa is, but Iowa really took it, took USC apart. Yeah. And whether it was a bad coach or just a bad scheme or whatever, just didn't want to be at the bowl game. Iowa ate that day, and uh, and anytime Iowa beats up on a on a USC like that, it's a big deal here. Yeah. 
Well, I'm happy we have this conversation, if only to help me replace like Keith Duncan blowing kisses as the enduring image <laughs> of the season, and be like, no, that was a that was a good Iowa team. That was a good Iowa team. The last two Iowa Nebraska games, I'm glad we're talking about this. Can they get any better? They're good I games. Mean, <laughs> the only way they get better for me is a win. <laughs> it comes down to a last minute field goal last two years. So I think. Whatever gap that Iowa fans think that they have over Nebraska, it's not as it's maybe a quarter wide, like an actual physical coin quarter. So, uh, it's the, the, the programs are close. And to me, my biggest fun of it, and then this probably speaks to the sickness I have with college football. I love the Big Ten West. I love the border wars. I love the teams beating up at each other and. I'm looking forward to Nebraska putting on some uh, some bigger boxing gloves here. I I, I feel like the program's kind of getting the line of scrimmage thing, at least yeah. if you look at recruiting. And uh, I, I, I I would love to see someone else challenge Wisconsin. It's time. I don't care who it is at this point. I want someone to knock Wisconsin out yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. I feel like we've had this conversation the last couple of years, and it's, it's like we got to break – the Huskers got to break through one of these days. Um, but, you know, I, I think a lot of Nebraska fans are slowly coming to join you in this enjoying the Big Ten West. It's taken a while to get acclimated, yeah. and I think we just have just celebrated 10 years in the conference, and there was some pieces from some of the older media members who, you know, still long for the Big 8 and Big 12. But I think – I suspect for – you know, I'm, I'm solidly a millennial – I think people my age and younger are just, you know, this is where we are. This is what we know, and uh, it's fun. And, and it is, you know, the border rivalry is is fun. It's uh, it's something. I did cover, I was there for the day that, uh, I was in Lincoln the day Nebraska joined the Big Ten. And oh, I really? Remember, I remember interviewing um, uh, Tom Osborne, and then there was a big press conference with Jim Delaney. Uh-huh over somewhere I can't remember where yeah the Wick alumni center obviously it was a big deal and I think the big to me you know older Husker fans that are hanging on to the big 12 days or the big 8 days yeah it's going to be hard to not because those were all drives Uh, oh yeah uh, yeah it was I think just the program I mean I think fans probably saw the program more alive then than they do now just because the driving or the flying, or whatever it takes to get to where you know you want to be. Um, but I still, you know, you still look at a Northwestern game against either Nebraska or Iowa, and it sure looks like an Iowa home game or a Nebraska home game. Yeah, so uh, yeah. there are places where you know Nebraska shows up for sure. I think Iowa and Nebraska kind of ride that big fan base thing, which used to help in bowls so much, but not so much anymore. You know, I think a lot of Nebraskans, hopefully the schedule works out. We can talk about this in a little bit, but I'm really hoping, um, well, it'll be really interesting to see how many Nebraskans get to Iowa this year because it's not on that Thanksgiving weekend for this. Yeah. And this is the one time at yeah. Iowa that it's not. And, you know, for me, I, we our family, our family Thanksgiving holiday is dictated by where the game is. And if it's an, an away game, we go to my, my in-laws in Chicago. So, like, this is the year for me to go to the Iowa game. I'm curious to see how many Nebraskans do the same. And, you know, it'll, it'll be different because if it, if it does happen, it'll be different. Um, but, man, th- yeah, so I hadn't really made that connection until just now. I might have lost that opportunity. I, I, was, I remember writing uh, dis, uh, very distinctly in 2012 how many, about a story about how many Nebraska fans were going to come to Kinnick. Uh, Iowa was a crappy team in 2012. I think they finished 4-8. and eight. They were, So they were 4-7 and seven going into that game. 
I think Nebraska had, yeah, they, they walked out of that stadium wearing, I want to say, leaders hats. I, I think they were in the leaders division. They won the oh, leaders okay. that year. And so um, uh, that was one year where I'm like, okay, I think there might be a significant number of Nebraska fans here, uh-huh. older Iowa fans. And it ended up being yeah, probably about what you expect at a home game. I think the biggest the biggest fan base at Everdens Kinnick is Iowa State by far. Okay. Uh, they they have had I don't want to say half or anything like that, but they've had like maybe ten thousand, twelve thousand fans at Kinnick, and that's pretty significant because Kinnick mostly sells out. I mean, not all the time, but if there's any tickets left, it's usually in like thousand or fifteen hundred and less. So. Uh, any t- time a team can show up with 10,000 or 8,000 fans, I'm always impressed by that. I think that Nebraskans and obviously Iowa State people, like they have family and friends maybe who have yeah, tickets. Yeah, and yeah so I think so too. I think so that too. In. Yeah. Well, so normally I'd want to talk about strengths and weaknesses of Iowa. And did you have any spring practices to cover? No. No. Okay, so no spring practice <laughs> Iowa, to cover. Iowa was a late, is, has been the last few years really late in the spring. I think they'd like to take February, March, and just kind of organize and recruit. And uh, usually in February, if, if uh, late January, February is usually Ferris is na- uh, uh, nailing down the coaching staff. Uh, there were no changes this year, so that would have uh, you know it would have been nice, I think, to get spring. But no, uh, we're starting to get asked updates about players, and you know we haven't seen these guys play since uh, the Holiday Bowl. So uh, some of the we, generally. I can tell you the strengths and weaknesses, but that will be without growth. You know, some of the growth from some of the guys that you might expect. But uh, yeah, we can talk about that for sure. Well, but of course, you know, the very crazy off season for for all of college football, and um, you know, in particular for Iowa with uh, with Doyle. So no no football coaching staff changes, but there are changes yeah. there. Yeah, there's um, that. So you know what. I know you've you've written about it a lot, and it's it's a common topic of conversation. We we haven't talked much about it on the podcast just because it, uh-huh. it doesn't feel like something we have a good place to or not a good place to talk about it. Um, so I mean, we don't have to dwell on it too long. But I'm curious uh, how you see Iowa growing out of this. Let's let's go in a forward yeah. direction. Yeah, they've they've already started to change a bit. Um, structurally, uh, they've added a position for for equality and inclusion, and that's. Project Benz, he played defensive end for the Hawkeyes in the uh, all around 2010-ish, and he's taken that job. But they also are going to have a player development guy that that would be Project Benz' old job. So there are, there have been some structural changes. There is also a uh, an advisory committee which is led by uh, NFL defensive lineman Mike Daniels, who played at Iowa in 2011-ish. Um, I, you know, there's not a lot of details out right now. I, there's a review going on, and we'll see what happens after that. That's kind of a – it's either going to be, you know – it depends on how much Iowa wants to change what they reveal from the review. Um, that'll be interesting to see, and it'll be uh, – maybe – I don't foresee any more coaching changes coming, but I also don't know what's going on with the review. So I, I, I would not predict that. But uh, yeah, when you lose a 22-year, going into his 22nd season, your Iowa Chris Doyle, uh, string coach, yeah, yeah, that's that's news, and uh, the, the circumstance certainly news. And so Iowa under undergoing extreme amount of self-examination, and I'm not sure what's going to come out of it. Um, I, I I would love to be able to sit here and characterize it as positive, but 
I don't know. Um, I I, I want to see and how seriously they take it. And from every indication I've seen so far, uh, yeah, Coach Barrett is working on it. So we'll see. I, I don't know how a head coach and a and a spring coach can work together for 22 years and not have that. Yeah. Have this happen. I don't see that yet, but uh, maybe there's a reasonable explanation out there. I'm willing to wait. Well, it's yeah, it'll. So, can you talk about um, Doyle's replacement and just his longevity with the team? And if you know, is this he just kind of same same style or same you know method, different personality? Yeah, it's Raymond Braithwaite. He's an African American gentleman. He's been with Iowa for sixteen years under Doyle, so. There's some trust to be earned. I mean, uh, you can't have what happened to Doyle and not have questions about the number two guy. So he's an interim position right now. Um, from everything I've heard and read, and I've been a few times we've talked, um, pretty affable guy. Um, gets guys where they're going, very supportive. Um, but he was in an environment that was toxic, and he didn't do anything to really move it to get it out of that. So. There's some trust to be in there. Um, does he get the job permanently? I'm not sure on that. Yeah. Yeah, you might want to just clean house in that. Well, I don't know if it's that or or if they just, you know, through interviews, they just can't. He doesn't successfully separate himself from Doyle. Not separate, but just show where he was and what his voice was. It's going to be a tough argument. I mean, yeah. If that doesn't come up in a job interview, I don't know what should. <laughs> That sounds like a tough job interview. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think it will be from, from now on, just because uh, there's heightened awareness there. And, and, of course, the next strength and conditioning coordinator probably won't use racist, racist tactics. Right. But strength coaches have kind of proven to be... Um, I'm trying to think of a good word. Uh, kind of extreme in some of their approaches. I mean, I'm looking at Maryland. Now I'm looking at Iowa. Sure. And there's, you know, I imagine there's a ton of co- string coaches out in the country. When something like this happens, they kind of get a little nervous. So there's, I think college football probably has a comeuppance. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's just Iowa. I don't know. I don't want to generalize too much. But there could be a comeuppance coming up for string coaches who have abused their power. Well, and and as I think most fans of college football know, I mean, the person, the coach who has the most interaction with your players is the strength coach. I mean. All off season, when the coaches are hands are tied on that, the strength coach is the face, and it's just such an important role. That is one. You know, in Iowa, uh, Chris Doyle was was also the executive director of football. He also was the only contact, at least during the season. And maybe maybe this was overall, but for sure during the season, he was the only contact Iowa would allow with NFL scouts. So there's there's a lot of power in that position. Yeah. Wow. Well. And. You know, if you don't do what he says, yeah, you know, you, you, you're if you're a borderline NFL guy, if you're not like Tristan Wirfs, you're going it no matter what. Uh, if you're a guy like Akron Wadley, well, you, you're probably getting a bad review, right, to the NFL scouts, and uh, uh, there's not a lot you can do about that. So uh, that's a lot of power. Um, I'm sure, you know, I can't say how, if it was abused or not abused or not or used to hurt guys, but uh, hey, every team, I think, has players where, hey, when they go to the NFL or when they go to a different organization, NFL probably, they... It's not always going to be a glowing review, because you have to represent yourself, and 
you know, a true way, or the NFL is going to look at you like you don't know what you're talking about. So mm. that is a treacherous relationship. And but I don't know. I I, I think uh, the next strength coach. I think they probably change a lot of the structure to take some of the power away from that and keep it to maybe just strength and conditioning. Sure, like everybody else, or well, like most <laughs> others, like yeah. most others, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, uh, thank thanks for kind of sharing your thoughts on all that, and we'll yeah. be watching closely to see what our you know our neighbors and really, I mean, for so many Nebraskans, it's our family across the river. I mean, my mom's from Iowa, my co-host, his mom's from Iowa, and families are there. Cool. So that's you know, it's it's part of the reason why I think it's a it's a good rivalry is there's you know blood there for many, um, but you know culturally there's a lot of similarities too. So that's you know gives us added um, compassion and interest to watch how this unfolds. Um, what, what percentage of Nebraskans live on the eastern border? I would say probably a, a bigger percentage than I would even guess. Oh, yeah. So there's maybe 1.8, 1.9 total Nebraskans. And, mm-hmm. you know, I always say that Omaha, greater metropolitan area, is pushing a million when you bring in uh, Bellevue and the mm-hmm. unannexed cities around the area. And then, of course, Lincoln is just 45 minutes away. And I think we're pushing 400,000 so I mean you know you the bulk of the population is within I think that probably helps with the rivalry yeah I, mean, I think you know that, that being that many people living on the border I mean Iowa doesn't have that in the west western Iowa is not very populous but oh, okay. it doesn't take it <laughs> there's the internet now <laughs> right right it's kind of funny too Mark uh playing Colorado last year um kind of gave my co-host and I have renewed appreciation for any whatever that we have with Iowa fans because it's like there's just so much anger and nastiness between Nebraska and Colorado and like I really feel like they bring out the worst in us um, and it's like you know as much as Iowa fans really annoy me like they're not that bad <laughs> they're good that folks. Colorado thing was a drive-by though I mean they're going to unleash both you know whatever they have on you guys and you're going to unleash it on them because you don't see each other very often yeah but I mean, back when it wasn't, it was right. Right. It was nasty. It, but anyway, we we don't have to talk about that. Let <laughs> let let's look forward again uh, to the twenty twenty season. So, um, with the new change in in scheduling structure, you lose the annual Iowa State Cyhawk game. You lose the matchup with Northern Iowa and Northern Illinois. Um, okay. For for crossovers, it's Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State. So that's tough. Um, and that's now instead of being a, a quarter of, your, of the Iowa schedule, that's now a third of the Iowa schedule. Um, wh- wh- <laughs> Two of those are on the road, by the way, back to back, or at least. Oh, at the, Ohio State, if, at Penn State. If the schedule holds up. If yeah, uh, assuming the schedule Penn State holds up. And Ohio State. So, man, thoughts on what's possible this year, and also curious if you have any idea who might get added to the schedule. Yeah, Iowa fans want Michigan, and I, I don't know why. Um, huh. I would ask for Rutgers. Yeah. First off, I'm not sure Rutgers and Maryland will be playing football. I just uh, the numbers at those universities. I think Maryland uh, stopped doing something this week. Maybe it was voluntary practice. I can't remember. But uh, Rutgers and Maryland, I, 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 it's going to be hard to see football happening there. Just for me. So there's those. But you know who gets added? You know, like Iowa fans want Michigan. I don't know why, but uh, hey, you know what? Might as well. <laughs> um, I don't know what the schedule will look like, though, but uh, I think maybe the most interesting game, one of the most interesting games that I have scheduled this year would be, to me, Michigan State. I think that might be one of those games. And, and maybe Nebraska, and maybe Northwestern. Those three games right there might be 
the difference between you know going five and four or four and five. Or no, I'm sorry, five and five or six and four. Which you know, with no bowl game, yeah, you want to be six and four rather than five and five. Yeah. But but uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting schedule. And in, a, in a, any given year, it would have been a, a fun schedule. I think the uh, uh, one change that is now kind of wiped away is the Iowa State game was on Saturday, and they were I was set to play Minnesota six days later on Friday. So two trophy games in six days would have been a tough, tough, especially early in the season when Iowa still really trying to figure out what it is, and especially in offense, it's that way every year. But uh, maybe it'd be different this year. I don't know. But uh, um, I, I think it was going to set up to be an interesting season. It still does set up to be an interesting season. I just hope it happens. And then assuming, again, assuming the schedule sticks to what is projected, instead of finishing with Nebraska, uh, Iowa finishes hosting Wisconsin, which is that, Iowa fans excited about that? I don't know yet. I I think so. I I think Iowa fans, I think they'll be excited about the next Wisconsin game when they win. Uh I don't think they're going to be excited about anything except when the clock's double zeros or four zeros in their team and it says their team wins. Uh, Wisconsin is sort of the existential threat to mm. Iowa fans. Um, you know, you look at it, and Wisconsin just wins, and they do the same thing every year, and they win. Uh, I think Iowa fans, you know, it'll be weird. Wisconsin's quarterback, whomever it is, will have a great day against Iowa. Every year this happens. Um, Jack Cohen will have a, you know, he'll, he'll throw for 186 yards, but he'll have like three touchdowns, and some amazing percent, uh, completion percentage. So uh, Wisconsin was the existential threat for Iowa in the schedule. And then, for whatever reason, Iowa fans aren't afraid of Ohio State. Not after 55-24, I guess. <laughs> I guess. All right. And then Penn State. Penn State, I think, Iowa and Penn State seem to think, I think they're on even footing. I, mean, I think Penn State has a few more athletes, at least enough to kind of, to, to post a 17-12 win at Kinnick. So, uh, I think the, I don't want to say ground is closed there because I think uh, James Franklin's doing a tremendous job out there, especially with recruiting. Um, so I think Iowa's done okay with Penn State. I think it has a fighter's chance out there, new quarterback though, and all that stuff. I think the tougher games are going to be the you know Nebraska, Iowa State, Northwestern, uh, Michigan State. Those games will make or break the season. And to me, I look at them right now and I think I'll be fifty-fifty games for Iowa. Mm. Maybe not Northwestern. Northwestern does have a quarterback, but they had a lot of problems last year in offense without a quarterback. Yeah, this is true. Um, well, to kind of wind it down here, um, earlier this spring I talked to uh, our friends at the Eyes on Big podcast and, and tried to get their thoughts on each of the teams on Nebraska's schedule. So I've got some questions from them, spe- <clears throat> specifically from Jeff the Greek who says hi. Um, <laughs> um you already talked about Spencer Petras earlier, but I mean, do you think what what do you think he can achieve? Uh, let me see. Uh, I think he's probably good for in his first year, twenty five to three thousand yards, um, probably seventeen touchdowns, probably ten interceptions, somewhere in there. Um, maybe a little bit better than that. In that he's this will be his third year in the program. Uh, he'll be a, a is a third year sophomore? No, he's a retro freshman. Shoot, I'm blanking now. I'm sorry. I should have this in the top of my head. Um, this, he's been in the program. My point is, he's been in the program long enough. And uh, every quote from Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz and uh, 
oh, the wide receiver coach, Kelton Copeland, is uh, total confidence in the guy. And, and he's got the personality, I think. He's got the uh, size. He's, he's basically like a Stanley. Doesn't have the arm that Stanley has. Stanley really had an arm. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that it's a lesser quarterback. He just has a, he doesn't have this, this arm strength. And frankly, I'm you know without having seen him play in spring practice, I'm really looking forward to see any sort of evidence on what he can do. Mm. Frankly, I we're pretty we're falling blind with a lot of players right now, specifically, sure. Sure. Um, and it's kind of hard to keep it's it's hard to update their status when you can't see it. Sure, that's fair. Well, the other question I'm afraid you might have a similar answer is how do you replace AJ Epinesa? Yeah, that one's one I've been thinking about for a while, so we can definitely talk about that one. Um, I think Chauncey Golson is a. I think he's more of a tweener defensive tackle, a defensive end type. I think he's a three tech in the NFL, and I think he probably could be really good at it. He's not the pass rusher that AJ Epineza was, and that, no, that's that's not a. I'm not denigrating Chauncey at all. AJ was fantastic at that. Yeah. Uh, a guy that I look at for for maybe some. I'm going to call it microwave quarterback pressure, just because you, you, there's. You put it in the microwave and it's ready. Uh, a guy named Joe Evans, he's an under, totally undersized, for, former linebacker type, walk-on type. I think he's still a walk-on. Um, that's about six foot, 240, 235. Showed a lot of a lot of burst off the edge last year. Last year they used him in a stand-up defensive end role, and uh, I think he ended up with about four sacks. Um He's an interesting guy. Can he be a can he be a full service defensive end? Can he be a three three down guy with uh, not being a full sized defensive end? Um, there, I think the defensive line is the work ahead of Iowa right now, and uh, they've added some bodies. Uh, they've added two Northern Illinois transfers, um, one of which uh, should Jack Heflin should play on the defensive tackle rotation. And uh, uh, Lorbeck's the guy, other guys, he's more of a defensive end. I'm not sure he plays this year, but I think Iowa has eight names that people have heard and eight potential contributors on the defensive line. If they can get to that, hmm. uh, I think they'll have a chance to be interesting this year. Well, that's that's intriguing. I mean, yeah, it's uh, he. I felt like he tore apart our, our offensive line by himself the last couple of years. And, um, very glad 14 to see tackles, him. fourteen tackles in the game in Nebraska. That's for a defensive end. That's yeah. that's mind blowing. I mean, that it makes me think of when Dominican Sue was playing, <clears throat> just yeah. so dominant. Uh, yeah. Glad to see him gone. Glad he graduated. <laughs> Onward. Yes, uh, he's a Bill now. So uh, there you go. Well, with that, um, thank you so much for your time. How how can our listeners read um, your reporting on Iowa? Yeah, uh, yeah, just. Um, uh, Google on Iowa, Mark Morehouse, uh, Gazette, and uh, it'll, be all, it'll all be there. There's not a lot going off the assembly line right now, just because you know, there's not like a lot going on in college football, but um, I'm sure that's going to change here pretty quick. I think we're, I think the, I think once we hit August, it's final countdown time for whether or not there's going to be a season. And you and me both, Justin, we're all, and everybody, Jeff, everybody, we're all having fingers crossed, sending positive thoughts. No matter how how fruitless it seems right now, uh, I'm hope I'm still going to force myself to be optimistic. I don't know about you, but I, 
I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm optimistic. As, as if things are like taking off across the country, but not in the Midwest, could you see like schools like Nebraska and Iowa saying, "Hey, look, we're pretty close. We we have some good controls over what's happening in our area. Let's just get together for the next three weeks." Like, could you? I would love to see that, and I hope that now you bring up an interesting proposition because if you just go on eighty, um, you could catch Iowa State. You can catch sure. um, maybe uh, uh, Illinois if you go a little further west. Uh, maybe Purdue. Um, so if you follow, you know, if you keep things tight, you keep it on a bus, maybe. But you know, I, I just uh, I, I look at to me what the Big Ten said this week, and then yesterday what Greg Sankey of the SEC said. Um, I think they're getting us ready for no football this fall. I just oh. think the way that they're presenting things and the, the bleak outlooks, which up until that last week when, when Kevin Warren let that out, you weren't hearing that. You weren't hearing that at all from anybody. And then you look at what, Jamie, if you have a chance, look at what Jamie Pollard from the Iowa State Athletics Director wrote uh, on, his, on, their, on their school's website about you know, un- what will be unfunded if there's no football? Hmm. And he said there's 40 million bucks worth of athletics that are, will be unfunded the day there's no football. So Thanks. It's dire. Uh, uh, I, I, Stanford got rid of, what, 11 sports? Yeah, yeah, 11. They can argue that, you know, no one's going to miss fencing. But uh, I think that that's, you know, you're starting to see the first few dominoes just kind of tumble. Scary. I, I, the two things I worry about most, and not so much for Iowa and Nebraska, because I think, Baseball and wrestling are staples for both the schools. Uh-huh. I just look at their the field of competition for both, and I see that shrinking, and that's going to suck. Yeah. Oh, that would suck. <laughs> I hate to be gloom and doom. I'm still optimistic it could be a football season. Yeah, man. Well, um, definitely uh, continue following you on social media, and also I would recommend... Uh, your uh, podcast that you do with Scott Doctorman, the uh, On Iowa podcast, all of our listeners as well, and hopefully you guys can give us some more positive information in the coming weeks. Uh, fingers crossed, man. Uh, thanks for having me on, Justin. Oh, thank you. you. Always yeah. a pleasure. Take care. You bet. Bye bye. Thanks again to Mr. Morehouse for joining us on the podcast. Always a pleasure. I mean, I felt like he and I could have talked forever. That's so awesome. He is one of my favorite, like, off-season guests. I mean, like, they're all great. They're all great. But we've been talking to Mark for a few years for a reason. Yeah, no, he's great. Also, I, I went ahead and listened to their... He, he and Scott Docterman, as I mentioned in the interview, do the uh, On Iowa podcast. Mm-hmm. And this Wednesday, their episode was titled, Is the Golden Age of College Sports Over? So... Uh, that's a depressing question. Yeah, well, you just look at you know all the money that's been poured into college football for so many years, and just this pandemic is just like breaking athletic departments. And it may not break Nebraska and Iowa and Ohio State and you know Oklahoma and Clemson, but like FCS teams, like they could be yeah. broken. Yeah, yeah, they could be like you know what, we just can't do this anymore. So anyway, crazy times. Yeah. It seems it's always the crazy times, Justin. You find, you wake up and realize. It takes more than your saline eyes. Never understood that line. Saline, like tears. Yeah, but like who says like, oh, you, your saline eyes. Like, I don't know, maybe a poet. Yeah. (laughs) A cross poet. 
sure. Oh, that is a reference that like a minute, like nobody other than me, probably who would ever listen to this episode will understand. <laughs> so mysterious. Ooh, wow. I'm actually surprised by you that you pulled that reference out there. Who's easy? You know, speaking of references that only people in the know would get. Yeah. Uh, did you happen to know that Central Nebraska Buffalo had a free shipping deal this past weekend? I so while we're recording this, it's still going for a couple hours. I think is uh, free shipping in Nebraska and Iowa, and but you only knew this if you were on, if you follow them on social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So by the time you're listening to this episode, that deal's gone. You know, we can't do everything. We can't be your one primary source for prime meat. <laughs> Mike, don't lecture the people. Okay, I'm just saying, like, if you want to get good deals from Central Nebraska Buffalo, it's it's time to make that commitment. Hit like on the Facebook page. Hit follow on the Instagram. And Twitter. Yeah, I mean, there's there's only so many like stupid, idiotic posts on social media that you can look at before something like a picture of a majestic bison will make your day better, you know? And free and free shipping. Yeah, and and awesome deals. Yeah, but they do do a great job of posting like photos of, uh, I guess, the product before it's been processed. <laughs> <laughs> and also, just you get to know their family, so that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Mm-hmm. On so on Facebook, that CN Buffalo. On Instagram at CN Buffalo One, and that's a Twitter, numeral numeral one yeah, there. Yes, thank you. And at Twitter, they are Central Buffalo. Indeed. So go like them on all those channels. I don't know. Maybe they're on Snapchat. I'm not. Uh, you know, I have a Snapchat, um, but then I remembered that I'm not a tween. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too cumbersome, and yeah. like I don't care. <laughs> I, I was just starting to get into TikTok a little bit, uh, just because there's actually some pretty funny and even interesting things on TikTok. But then, like, in the past few weeks, I've seen so many posts that are like, hey, by the way, if you download TikTok, you're basically letting the Chinese government, like, know everything about your life. And I was just Probably. like, I, I bet they already do, but I'm going to delete it just in case. Um and allow Facebook to do that and then sell all my information to China probably. So, <laughs> so cynical. No, that's yeah. that's why I've never got not that I was all that drawn to it in the first place, but yeah, that's why I never got it. I you know, TikTok is just a bunch of like people doing like one person's like I'm going to dance to this song and then like 800 other people are like I'm going to do this same thing. And then there's like old people trying to do it and I'm like stop. <laughs> Get a podcast. That's what old people do. <laughs> Everybody's just trying to like all the kids are trying to stay ahead of their parents on these uh, on these platforms. So I think I heard a breakdown on the demographics of Facebook now, and it's it's definitely a boomer platform now. Wow. And so the kids have long ago left that. I mean, I feel like the kids are maybe moving past Instagram. Yeah, I feel it. Yeah, I feel like TikTok is kind of moving into that space for kids. But like I said, it's a weird it's a weird thing because I feel like a lot of people are on TikTok in a way that people weren't on Instagram. But how on earth are we talking about this in the middle of our podcast? <laughs> uh, so just so you know, if there is a Husker Pod TikTok, it's not us. Okay, so we don't follow it. Yeah, we they're just trying to scam you. 
we can't uh, verify what or what is or is not posted on there. But you know what we can verify is that Monty Rody is the real estate agent that you need to work with. This is true. We reached out to Monty recently, just asked him how things are going. Um, and so I, at one point, I think in the last few weeks, I had mentioned like, I heard something somewhere on the news that real estate's doing really well, but I didn't have anything to back it up. Uh, as it turns out, Monty does have that information handy, uh, being a real estate agent. Um, and he said that while much of the country was working on a phased reopening of the economy in June, real estate activity continued to strengthen. Um, nationally, June showing activity was up, notably from the COVID-19 depressed levels in recent months, but was also up from June 2019, reflecting oh. pent-up demand by prospective home buyers. So interesting. Things are things are shaking and baking in the real yeah. estate world. I know sometimes people make their houses smell like cookies. I wonder if they make their houses smell like bacon. Mm. You said shaking and baking. I don't so. know. There's people with dietary restrictions. Oh, that's well, and a, a vegetarian or vegan's <laughs> gonna be like, I'm not buying this house. Exactly, exactly. Sorry. Same way, like if I smell cats when I walk into a house, I'm like, I'm leaving right now. My eyes itch. <laughs> um, but he also pointed out that uh, interest rates are incredibly low. I heard on the radio that um, they were below three percent. He actually says. He had a buyer in the last month secure a $30,000 mortgage at 2.6%. That is insane. Just like giving away money. For real, though. That's wild. It's it's actually, it's, it kind of reminds me of my car. I have uh, an insanely good interest rate on my car loan um, to the point where like my bank occasionally would ask me, you know, hey, you want to refinance? We can get you a rate this low. And I'd say, actually... My current rate is about half that. And I'd be like, oh, have a nice day, sir. (laughs) So. I'm sorry I wasted my time with you. These are have a nice day, sir, numbers. Okay, for real estate. 2.6% is insanely low. So get on it. I do want to apologize to our listeners. I have actually been, like, super aggressive (laughs) lately with, like, the do it now type talk. Um, You are clearly free to do whatever you want. Uh, it's just we care so much about these people who have invested in us <laughs> that we want to commend them to you because, I mean, that's just like, you know, got to buy local, work with local people. It's a very important thing. So I'm going to turn over a new leaf next week. I'm just going to gently suggest that you consider our sponsors. You're so aggressive. I'm going to try to. You know what? What's that? What's that phrase? You'll attract more bees with honey than vinegar. More bears? I don't know. Yeah, I guess you don't. You're not really attracting the bees flies? with honey. They're they're the ones producing it. Maybe it's flies. Whatever the case is, you guys are the flies, and I am gonna be your sugar next week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a couple of uh, <laughs> a a couple of the most recent commits from this class that is now on campus have entered the transfer portal. Yeah. A couple of the high-profile ones from uh, from Miami. It makes me wonder, though, like, how much of a shake-up are other schools seeing, you know? Because well, yeah, is that is yeah is that the COVID effect? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I can imagine there's a lot of kids that are like, oh, well, I didn't even think I was going to play this year anyway. Maybe I'm just going to stay home, you know? 
play it by ear this fall and then i still have the opportunity to go play somewhere next year you know yeah it's i mean it's concerning but yeah when you look in the bigger picture and i feel like a lot of the reporting i've read hasn't spent much time on that just the COVID effect. so Mm -hmm. i mean it's concerning but um there's also a lot of talent in the program that's been developed and also jd is going to tcu i was wondering when you were going to bring that one up right now yeah (laughs) that's a bummer yeah, I, I don't know. I guess it doesn't Jerry, make sense to me. I just well, Jerry Kill is down there, and he was at Minnesota when Nebraska was recruiting him, and Jerry Kill was at Minnesota recruiting him, mm-hmm. and so he's gonna go to Jerry Kill. And I guess it sounds like the Huskers have done whatever work they need to do to make it so that he'll be able to play soon. Like, yeah. we're, which is cool. I mean, like it's clearly looking out for the player as opposed to. Um, you could be kind of like, you yeah, could be vindictive, playing the vindictive. And say, yep, oh, yep. you're leaving us. You're never playing again. Mm-hmm. Which again, I could see somebody like Bo Pelini doing that. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't think Bo. Like we joke about Bo, but I mean, he's a super loyal guy. Yeah, that's true. He was good to the. He was good to his players, just not the fans. <laughs> yeah, I actually saw a tweet. You know, the the Washington Redskins have been in the news for a lot of reasons lately, but most recently there was a big Washington Post article about just a, a culture of sexual harassment mm-hmm. and i saw uh a female sports reporter i don't i don't know who she was but apparently she used to work at for the huskers and she said that um when she worked at nebraska Bo always went out of his way to make sure she was treated fairly and just wouldn't tolerate her not being treated fairly that's awesome man good old Bo. you know he had some temper on the sidelines and didn't do great with the media all the time and and unfortunately, that's how he gets remembered by most people. But I, th- I think he's a really good guy. Okay, I'll I'll be honest. I am um, I'm the kind of guy who, from the very beginning on this podcast, there there was a lot of Bo. Oh, I don't want to say hate. I don't have hatred for Bo, but it's it's kind of like low hanging fruit, an easy target for me to make jokes about him. But I'll I'll concede to you, Justin. I think you're I think you're right. Um, despite just the way things ended with him uh let's be honest that's the last time nebraska was any good <laughs> <laughs> so fair enough yeah i saw there was a video that i i think was either big 10 or maybe it was the huskers account tweeted of some uh Kalu highlights uh from defensive back and he straddled the end of the bow in the beginning of the riley era and so there was highlights from that miami game mm. um and then there was some highlights from some decent, like that UCLA bowl game. Um, and it was, I, I tweeted like, this was like, peak, he was like peak Bo and peak Riley, his his tenure. Yeah. What an interesting, what an interesting time to be a Husker. Yeah. It's an interesting time to be a Husker fan. One thing that will remain consistent is the Husker pod. We'll be back next week with another episode, folks. Stay tuned. Go Big Red. Go Big Red. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is an unofficial, non-commercial podcast and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this podcast belong solely to the individuals expressing them. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with the Nebraska Cornhuskers or the University of Nebraska. Nebraska.